Welcome, affiliated listeners, to another episode of the Affiliated Podcast. And I'm going to tell you what, we have a doozy today. Um, not only was this one of the funnest conversations that I was able to have and meet somebody in New York um, a couple weeks ago, feels like it might have been centuries ago now, um, and hopefully he evaded the COVID infestation that seemed to get everyone else. Um, oh, nope, he did not. But we're going to be talking with Spencer Burnett today, and the subject we're going to be talking about is super critical to anybody that owns a business is an affiliate or might be touched and really impacted by content at all. Cause we're going to be talking about content creation, but not in the way that you might be used to talking about it. We're going to be talking more specifically about how right now content creation is not only super important in your business, but we are seeing a flood of content coming out there through AI. Everybody thinks they could do it. They are producing a lot of stuff, but it is not producing results. And to make sure that you don't fall by the wayside of crappy online content, we're going to have Spencer share with you about how his team is working with people to create crazy high quality content at a crazy rate um, and really changing businesses. So you're going to be able to go through this AI wave, go through what looks like might be a tough recessionary period and come out of it better, stronger and with more market share than your competitors are. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So first, I should introduce the amazing, the beautiful and very entertaining Spencer Burnett. Or if you'd like to butcher his last name because it looks fancy, Burnette. That's what we're going to make the fancy way for his last name. Uh, Spencer, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I did not miss the uh, the COVID wave. I definitely got hit by that. And actually, today is my second day back. So there's no better way for me to uh, get back into the swing of things than us having a, a conversation about content and AI and everything along those lines. <laughs> well, I guess it's good to know that you'll be taking a nap right after this from, from your yeah, life. Sure. My lungs aren't ready. So <laughs> I will say I was able to avoid it, but my, my wife did not. So it seems like, uh, I guess... I guess I'm just the COVID doesn't want to affect me apparently. So, but I'm glad you're at least feeling better and you didn't have any crazy stuff. So, um, well, Spencer, obviously we're going to be talking about content, but before we do that, um, what I'd love to do is just dial back a little bit and um, tell the people kind of a little bit of your backstory. How did you get to here? How did you get to the position to be chatting on this microphone with also a gorgeous background? Oh man, I thought it's a beautiful day in Idaho, but it's definitely not as beautiful as wherever you are. Um, so, but yeah, tell, walk us through kind of what, brought you to this beautiful location in this industry. Um, and yeah, what got you here today? Yeah, I, I have been a serial entrepreneur from birth. You know, I had my first uh, money-making organization when I was nine years old and I followed the same principles that I follow today. It, it's based on, uh, on relationships, uh, having fun, creating value, and also having really clear roles and responsibilities and understanding what role everyone you know plays in, in the business. Uh, started my first official business when I was 17. I was I was in the fitness uh, industry. I had a I had a gym for about uh, about eight years. We started virtual personal training in 2002. It didn't quite catch. I think we were a little bit a little bit ahead of our time uh, Possibly there. Early. Yeah. If it was yeah, like 2020, right. you might have been in a different it, part, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. And uh, and so uh, from there, I was actually building custom CRMs from scratch that basically looked at the way that the entrepreneur was running the business and built a system around them as an extension of their creative process and the value that they're bringing to the world instead of just creating a, a box to teach them how to work in. Because as you know, most entrepreneurs don't really like working in, inside of that box. Uh, from there, I have you know, consulted in a, and had brands in a bunch of different industries. I was a dating and sex coach for about nine years. 
I worked in the cannabis industry, uh, helping, uh, organizations get licenses uh, across you know all the different states that were going legal uh you know like 2012 to about 2017 and uh and building out content for uh for them i actually have a I actually have a video uh how to make the uh, how to make pop brownies it is the number two pop brownie uh video uh on uh, on youtube and nice. uh and and from there, I was I built I built, uh, I built uh, an organization for uh, men's development, and then I started getting into the started getting into the coaching world. So I did a lot of consulting on coaching brands, uh, you know, people uh, selling everything from marketing and SEO and sales to uh, spiritual coaching and personal development, and you know that that entire that entire industry. And now the company is really focused on amplifying people that are really making a, a, a positive impact on the world and seeing how we can create a frictionless environment for them to get their message out and serve the people that they bring value to and doing that with as little friction as possible. So the entrepreneur can focus on what they do best, which is bringing that value through their offer, through their content, through their funnels. That's awesome. I mean, man, do you really transition from sex to drugs to amplification, which we'll just call rock and roll because it just sounds cooler that way. So, really so really you're amplifying too. coaches and creators now. Um, now, one thing I want to tell because I really like what you said. You said nine years old was when you started. And one of the biggest things you did is really understanding clearly defined roles. You do this in the business. This is what you do. You're best at it. Let's amplify and accelerate that as much as possible. So um, before we kind of go into the, the content side of things, it's a really interesting concept because oftentimes, especially solopreneurs, I find that they feel like they have to do everything all the time, all at once in their business. And what they find is they, they do some things incredibly well, but they don't do everything really well. And they're just hurting their business by, by not kind of focusing in on that. But they really struggle just sometimes to let that go or identify that. So kind of a two-part question here. First, I'd love for you just to talk a little bit more about why that role definition, that clear segmentation of um, each responsibility has been so key in your businesses as well as how you've been able to grow other businesses. I'm just really curious on that concept because I think uh, a lot of people really struggle with that in this industry. Yeah, especially when you're a solopreneur and you are doing everything, there it, the upside to that is there's control. You have control over everything that's going on in your business. And then you start to realize, hey, I'm really great at uh, at, at marketing or the the delivery of the product or everyone's got a specialty. And then you kind of hire the the roles that you're not so good at. And as you continue to expand, you start taking on more team members, and usually it's a, a bunch of consultants. And when things are moving really quickly in a business and the growth almost starts to, to hurt you because things are moving so fast and you hire new people and things slip through the cracks, now there, there is turnover in the organization. And turnover is something that organizations don't really take a look at in terms of how much it's actually costing their business from a financial standpoint and from a friction standpoint. And when you have clear roles and responsibilities and expectations, then you can have clear conversations as to whether you are performing properly in that job. 
And so a lot of the friction that is in a business is due to mismanaged expectations and expectations can't be met if they've never been set. So, it, so then you run into the, into this cycle where it's like, well, this person didn't, didn't produce the outcome that I, that, that I wanted. And they end up just firing that person and, and then bringing on another one only to continue that cycle. And as your business grows, you really need a team that it, that's fully committed, that fully understands your business, but also understands you as a leader and knows how to work around your unique tendencies as entrepreneurs often have. And so when I come into companies and, uh, and, and do, uh, integration work of new systems, the, the first thing that they want to, to focus on is the actual problems, which are actually symptoms of the company. Oh, it's taking a while to get our funnel up or, you know, we're, we're behind on our content production. And I always go back and say, I know it's not sexy. I know it's not fun, but we've got to understand who's on the team who's sitting in what seat and what is expected of them. Once we have those clear expectations, then we can have a, then we can have a real conversation as to whether you're meeting those expectations or not. Cause sometimes things don't get done simply because someone doesn't have access and they don't know who to go to, to get that file, to get that username, to get that password. And it ends up being something so small that ends up creating a, a huge bottleneck in the organization and all of that could have been solved if everyone knew their place and what that was expected of them but they also knew what was expected in what the place is of everyone else on the team so they know who to go to for what a lot of mm -hmm. times you get thrown in you're not properly onboarded because how could you be pop properly onboarded when there's no documentation of, of <laughs> what what's what's to be understood this makes sense. Yeah, sounds like you were onboarded for the environment that you have, which is chaos and no definition, right? <laughs> like so, that that that's what your onboarding would be. Figure it out, um, which is not right. not great for employee satisfaction. No, I think that's really amazing because um, I, I think that's missed a lot. The expectations and then metrics or clearly defined success measurements. Oftentimes, uh, I think I, I imagine you see this a lot. Entrepreneurs say, "Well, the success metric is the success of the funnel." true for the entrepreneur, but for individual contributors, oftentimes my success measurement might be, hey, I designed the page. Once the page is designed, as best as it is given to me, ultimately my job's done, right? That, that's if you're, if that, you're a web designer, UI guy, like that's all you're going to do. You're going to do your one piece. Now, if the marketing wasn't good, well, that's on the marketing team. If the copy's not good, that's a copywriter's job, right? But oftentimes, all of a sudden, something doesn't convert, and we go to a designer and say, well, you have to do better. This, you should have done this and this and this and this and this. Really, they were just doing what was asked of them. Um, so, no, I think that's really, really important. And it, one of the other thing, not only does it make it easier for the employees, but I think imagine you probably find that it's really easy to fit employees in, right? They know what they need to do. They know what other teams need to do. You'll identify where the breaks are or the, the employee that isn't a good fit for that position might be because now you could see that you clearly define the roles and you ask the person, hey, does this make sense? And I'm like, I can't do most of that stuff. And I'm like, oh, we might have hired the wrong person, right? But without clearly defined roles, I find people hire people that they like, not that could actually do the job. Um, which could create a lot of problems sometimes for both sides. So I know it was a total divergence, but I really, really love what you said there. And I just wanted to make sure people understand that, yeah, clearly defined roles operationally 
and in your business will make life so much easier. So before we move on to content, I'm gonna give you one opportunity, Spencer, just to kind of hit it home. If somebody just heard this, I know it's a bit of a surprise. They're like, well, how do I go out and clearly define these positions? Like what, is there maybe a practice or just like a quick little tip that you could give these solopreneurs or um, entrepreneurs that either are have employees, but they're not sure they're doing the best job because probably them, or I'm a solopreneur and I know I need to start hiring. What are some ways or like a quick tip that you might give them to clearly define those roles better? Yeah, it's to create a, an accountability chart and not an org chart. And there's the difference between the two is an org chart is a, a diagram that shows you who is in the organization and it usually is CEO and then you've got the, you know, the senior management level and then all of the people that work on, under them. And that just shows the relationship to, uh, of each person to the other person. What an accountability chart is, is it actually defines roles and not job titles, which are different. Because there are, there are many roles, especially in a smaller organization, there's many roles that a single person may have. And then as you start to scale and you start to grow, you might be owning three roles. You know, maybe, you're the, maybe you're the salesperson and the marketing director. But as a company grows, then it's like, all right, well, you're really great at sales. we got to find someone for marketing. When you take a look at an org chart and it's like, well, we just need to add another person in here, it changes the dynamic of the whole thing. When you have an accountability chart based on roles, then you can simply say, these are all the roles that are required in order to execute and, and make money and build the funnels and you know, fulfill the, the, uh, the delivery. And then you place names in those, uh, in those roles. For those roles specifically, you need to have, uh, you need to have a, uh, a racy chart that shows you who is accountable for everything. Meaning like if it goes wrong, whose head is on the chopping block? And if it goes right, who gets a bonus, right? Who's responsible for the execution uh, of, uh, of that role? And then who do, who do you consult with when you don't know what to do uh, in that role? And then who do you need to inform once you have executed your, your, uh, your tasks or you need to, that, that needs to be updated so the dissemination of information happens, uh, happens with ease? When you have when you have an accountability chart mixed with a with a racy chart, now you have a blueprint of how your uh, of, of how your company operates. And then when you hire someone, you may find out you, you're hiring them for the CRO a CRO role, but you still need a sales manager, or uh, it, you know what I mean. So yeah, uh, it, it it becomes it becomes a lot more clear. It focuses more on function. Than it does like just like the person that you have working for you. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like make sure that you hire for for function. I love that accountability chart. Like hire for the role and the responsibility, and figure out titles later. The org chart will be fixed, right? Like eventually the org chart's gonna make sense. But in the short term when you're growing, you just need roles to be done at the best of their ability by the right person. So that makes a ton of sense. And I'll tell you, I, guys, this wasn't even what we were planning on talking about today, but such a good nugget from Spencer. I'm just gonna tell you guys right now, everybody, if you haven't done an accountability chart, you should. Even if you think your business is running very well right now, because you might find that you have you know, leaky buckets or holes in your responsibilities and roles, or maybe you have somebody doing a role you didn't even think about that they aren't good at. And somebody else in your, in your, in your apartment could do better, but you haven't really looked at it and thought of it that way. So, um, you know, we'll move on to some content stuff we originally talked about. That was really fantastic, Spencer. I appreciate it. So let's now shift into content. So the first thing I want to say is um, 
I kind of put on the head. We know, and you probably agree. This, I'd love to hear kind of your, your your thoughts on this as well. Content is has been and continues to be one of the biggest differentiators in a business that could grow for the long term and get acquired. Your ability to produce high quality content matters in this world. I can't emphasize that enough. Yet we see a lot of businesses really struggle. They either struggle to be consistent. It takes a ton of resources and for produce high quality stuff. Or they've gotten to a point where they don't even want to do it because it feels like too much in their business. So with that, I, of kind of the two-part question here, kind of two flow, what we're going to do here, is if you just walk me through why you feel content so important to businesses, particularly high-quality content. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about some of the struggles afterwards. Why are people struggling to produce this? Um, and then we'll, we'll then talk about how you guys are making it not so hard. Yeah, content is a way to build relationships at scale. And at the end of the day, that's what business is about. It's about relationships because the market is flooded in, in every sense. There, there's no business that is, or very few businesses that are truly, truly unique. So it comes down to, do you have an offer that will solve that person's problem? And then do they know, like, and trust you? And so at the end of the day, if, if there's a thousand offers that are essentially solving the same problem, what is the differentiator? It's likability and it's trust. And that is what content does. I mean, I'm sure that you can go on your phone and go into your YouTube shorts or your Instagram reels or, or your TikToks. And there's people that you don't even follow that you see on a regular basis and you feel like you're friends with them. I mean, it's the celebrity effect, right? When people come up to a celebrity and they talk to them like, like they're friends because on the, on, the, on the viewer's end, you are friends. You're in their house, you're in their hand, you're in their ear constantly having a conversation about the things that matter to them. And so when you can produce content that resonates with people, that builds the relationship, which then builds the trust, which then builds the, the loyalty to your brand and the problems that you solve. And so I was uh, watching, uh, I was actually watching uh, a short uh, of, uh, of my friend, uh, Alex Hermosi, who's actually not my friend, but I feel like he is because he produces great content <laughs> like that, right? And he, ta he talks about having, uh, having just an incredible, uh, an incredible product to sell and, and building that relationship with the person. And it, it's, the, it's the most important thing because if you can sell, uh, but you can't, but you don't have a good product. You'll sell one time, but you won't get the, the, the repeat customers and same goes with marketing as well. Right. So, mm -hmm. so it's, it's all about relationship building and with the way things are progressing with technology and in the way that the world is getting smaller and smaller because we have such quick access to producing content. I mean, you can produce something on your phone and upload it, you know, almost instantly, right? Now is the time to focus more on the, on the quality of the content. And what I mean by that is not shooting in 4k because honestly, people, people are pretty forgiving of, uh, of low quality content. There's actually, there's actually value to, to doing it. Take a look at Mr. Beast stuff. He doesn't, he's not shooting with, with cranes and, and stuff like that. It's still very, uh, it's still very handheld. Uh, it, it, it feels, it, it feels like your friend sent you a video when they were out doing something really cool. And, and so, uh, so yeah, I mean, we can go deeper into like what actually quality, quality means. Cause I think that a lot of people are, are, are mistaking what, what it really means these days. 
Yeah, yeah. No, let's definitely talk about that because you're right. I think that's a big deal. It's not. It's funny because when we talk about quality, and, and you you're already alluding this, it's we can't look at it like TV quality. This is not cinema quality. It's not quality in the terms of what they might be talking about. It's quality in terms of what we care about as consumers when we're flipping on the toilet through whatever, right? <laughs> whatever social media we have, like in our bathroom time, because we know that's when 90% of it is. Or if it's my wife, whenever we're trying to watch a movie seems to be the ideal time for her to get on her phone and scroll through Instagram, yet still pay attention to the movie. I'm impressed. I just, and I know there's other ladies yeah. out there that seem to do that same thing. I'm just telling you right now, I'm impressed. If you could let me know how you do it, that would be fantastic because I can't. Uh, it's just not something that's going to happen. Um, so, but no, yeah, that quality really, really matters. But like you said, that um, it builds that trust because one of the things we see with a lot of the direct response audience we, we have here is oftentimes you get a buyer once and now you're chasing a new product, another product to get that buyer a second time. But through quality and content, you start to build, like you said, a relationship and trust. And we could see now, and I'd even argue post-pandemic trust has been something that people want more and more and more of from anything they're purchasing because they've gotten less and less and less from established areas. You could argue whether it's the government, whether it's media, whether it's companies, whether it's social media, right? Trust is at an all-time low from a consumer perspective, which creates a great opportunity for high-quality targeted content um, and a real miss if you're not creating that in this market. So let's talk about quality now. What would you define as quality content? What makes it good and something that could really build that trust if it's not 4K? Uh, right, right. It's, it's relevancy to their problem and speaking to their problem and articulating it better than they can. I mean, it, it's, it's the basics of marketing. Right. If you can articulate someone's problem better than they can, they automatically trust you because they feel like you they feel like you understand. And so instead of trying to create content that that's just going to get you clicks, it's not the clicks that really matter. It, it, it's what's behind the click. Like what impact are you having on uh, what impact are you having on that person? And so if you're just putting out content and using AI to, to do all of your Twitter posts and your Facebook posts, just so you can, uh, just so you can pump out volume, if it's watered down, eventually people are going to, it, going to ignore it. So you've kind of got this, you've got this side of, you know, kind of like the Gary V approach of you need to post five times every day on, on, on every platform. And although that is beneficial, if it's not high, if it's not high quality content, that's really connecting with the, with the person that is on the other, uh, on the other end, it's just spam. And so, and so in my opinion, it's much better to have the, the, this higher quality content that, that really resonates with the person and to do that properly versus just spamming a bunch of stuff that you think might get clicks. And th this is really where it comes into the, the, the strategy as well. It's not just like the individual piece of content that you are creating, but more so the ongoing story that you're telling and that you're bringing the, the audience through as you're going through your journey of whatever it is that you're offering. It is, uh, who's the guy that, uh, who's, his name is Brian something. He spent like $2 million on his body. And, uh, and, and does like everything absolutely like to the book only, only yeah. operates based on the numbers and, and the output that, that he has. Right. 
So yeah, I know what you're talking it, about. It's like a, it's the health version of a quant in economics. Just so I can nerd up the cool reference you're making <laughs> here. So yeah, yeah. So he has just this wealth of knowledge of all these tests that he's done and uh, in all the research that he's done and all the data that he's collected on himself. But really what grabs me is Brian is trying to get his biological age down to 18 and essentially live forever, right? That is a story that it's a storyline that I want to follow. I want to see where this thing goes. Uh, also, uh, Alex Ramosi wants to join the billionaires club. And so in doing it through his approach that he's living as he's teaching. So that's, that's another important part that I'll get to uh, uh, in a moment. Um, but that's, that's a saga that I want to continue to follow. So, you know, when you feel like you're a part of their story, then you want to be a part of it. And being a part of it is consuming their content is by, is buying their offers. It, it's, it's, it's sharing their content. You really you know, become a part of the, uh, a part of the community. So this, this leads to a, a bigger conversation of, of strategy and how you, how you not only produce your content, but how you build your funnels to build relationships. So I was working, I'm working with a company right now and we're working with investors to, uh, to, uh, in a, in a private equity firm. Right. And I took a look at the, I took a look at the funnel and the, the ad was fantastic <clears throat> getting a lot of leads, but then as soon as you, uh, you book a call, like the content stops, there's no video on the thank you page. There's no, uh, the, like it, uh, in, in the email, it feels impersonal, like, Content is really everything that the person is consuming from your organization. And so focusing on the, uh, the, the strategic process of, of like, how does this deepen our relationship? How does this make them feel like they know us more? Uh, it, that's what between you knowing their problem better than they do. That's what makes them feel like, you know, them more. And then having a strategic process where they feel like you're there with them all throughout the funnel uh, and the, and the delivery is, is really what drives it home and keeps a, a lifetime customer. Yeah, no, I love that the strategy is so served towards, you know, content serves a long-term customer versus conversions will serve a customer for today. Right. Um, so I think that's really, really nice. But at the same time, man, that sounds challenging, right? How do we make sure that we're speaking the right language? How do you make sure that you consistently be there every single day? I know a lot of people, it's just like, that's just so much content. You mentioned Gary Vee five times a day off five different social networks. I know that's very extreme. It fits his brand, so on and so forth. But even in spite of that, one post a day for some people feels Herculean, let alone putting that across multiple different social channels, blogs, video, all that stuff, right? So given you might be doing this right now, it might be crushing your soul, or you really want to get into it. How, I guess this is where I'm really curious, like what is your team doing to create that scale without the loss of quality? Because I know that's why people are so excited about AI. Oh my gosh, I could finally start doing content because it's become so accessible. But of course, like we said, we know that the harsh reality of what that actually looks like and what that content is, is, is going to be tough for a lot of people. So I'm curious how you're scaling quality content for people. You have to understand really what AI can do and what it can't do specifically chat GPT. Cause that's the, the main thing that people are using, or they might be using, you know, Jarvis or some other content producing, uh, um, AI, right. 
And so essentially the AI will do exactly what you tell it to do. And if you don't give it enough context, it's going to create this generic type of content because it's just taking the knowledge of everything on the internet and giving you its best guess essentially. And so when people are using uh, ChatGPT, they have to learn prompting, right? And this is something that they're going to be teaching in schools or kids should be learning, you know, now is how to prompt the AI to behave in a way that you want it to. Now, you know, at the beginning, it was more, it was just like, okay, you are my copywriter and I need you to write a Facebook post on my offer, right? And you give it a little bit of a context of your offer. Well, that's going to create you one post and it's going to be a little bit generic. And so you either got to massage the GPT a little bit to make it more specific, or you use that as a rough draft. And then a, an expert copywriter can go in and give it its spin. But what makes, what makes great content is, uh, is a few things. Uh, one, it's specific to your offer. Two, it's in your voice. So people feel like it, or people feel like it's from you and it's not just some, some bot right? It also has to have relevancy to what's going on uh, in, you know, with your audience and with your market. So it needs that context. Uh, it needs that context as well. So if you wanted to create the absolute best Facebook post uh, every single day, you would, and, and you, and you hired a person, let's say you hired me to do that. I would need to know what is your, what's your company values? What's your mission statement? What's your offer? What's your USP? What, what I, you know, I would need to know all of those things about your business. Next, I would need to take a look at all of your previous uh, content that you've created and see what your voice is and your angles and, and, uh, and your hooks. And then I would need to know like what's relevant to your audience. What is the feedback that you've been getting from your, from your customers? What are the, what's the feedback that you've been getting from the comments on the content that you've all already produced? And then what's going on uh, in the world today, what's going on, on in the industry. And when you add all those ingredients to your cocktail, it, it turns into the, the perfect post. So what my company is doing is building AI agents with all of that context built in. So when you're dealing with a GPT that, that we create, that it already has all that context. So there's no, oh, wow. there's no prompting. It already knows your company. So, uh, to, I'm trying to not give too much away here. So, <laughs> right. We, so, right. So, so we, we basically go into the, the company and, uh, map out its identity. And this is one of my strengths and why I've been successful in so many different types of industry. Cause it really comes down to breaking down human consciousness to its basic levels. Mm -hmm. And once you can break that down and you can, you can inform the GPT of, uh, of its identity, then you've got a, a good foundation. And so then we take all of the, all of the writing examples and all of your historical uh, data and, uh, and posts and put that in, into consideration. And then we, uh, and then we have it take a look at the, uh, all the, the responses and comments from your, your client base and what's going on in the world. And you're just looking at a, at a, uh, at a, at a single screen and you're saying, Hey, create me a Facebook post for today. When you program the, the AI specifically, you can ask it general questions and get a specific answer. Whereas people are, are doing it backwards. They have a general AI, then trying to ask it a really, really, really specific question and hope that it gives it a, a, a specific result. Well, you can do that, but it, 
it it still takes a significant amount of time, way less than it did before. Uh, but in, since people don't know how to do this properly, they end up just creating lazy content, which when your audience sees your content being lazy, it makes them feel like you don't care. And they need to know that you care about what you're talking about. They need to know that you care about the problem that you're solving and, and, and that, that it's important to you just as well as it's important to them. Cause that's what makes the, the connection. Yeah, no, that, that, that is, that is huge. Right. And I actually love what you're putting in there because you've seen it time and time again, where the biggest, I think mistakes people make when trying to use AI is they don't feed the AI, right? You, you got to feed it. You got to give it more context. You have to inform it to provide you specificity. And once you have that specificity, now ease starts to come in and, and it could use that machine learning to get smarter and smarter and smarter and truly become an aid in your business versus almost, I think right now of for lots of people, um, I'm seeing them use AI and it's becoming a liability in their business because they're actually lowering the quality of what they used to produce in, um, as an, I, Hey, but I could serve it faster. I could do more of it easier. Um, so yeah, definitely feeding it in there, um, which a lot of people don't know how to do now. Um, I know it, I, of course we went on the operations things kind of took us some extra time, but we're getting close to time. I don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, for those that are out there thinking, gosh, I need to get in the content game or gosh, I need to up level my content game or gosh. I'd like somebody to help me just be better and faster with my content. And they'd like to get a hold of you after listening to this, Spencer. How could people get in content to start or <laughs> get in contact to start producing better content faster than they ever have before? What would be the best ways to get in touch? Uh, they can go to my website, brainjam.io. And on there, you have uh, we've got different offerings for whatever problem that you're trying to solve, whether it is operations or content or uh, outbound sales or, uh, or you know, tracking your sales and, and data and you know, basically anything in your business. So you can just go there and book a call uh, with me or one of my team members and discuss where you're feeling friction in the business. Cause that's really what, what it's about. It's like, we, we have the entrepreneur uh, we work with entrepreneurs that already have successful businesses that have a great strategy that are just coming up with a, a lot of friction of execution. And oftentimes businesses will grow so fast that the growth actually starts to create a, a possibility that their company might implode. And yeah. so you hit this awkward stage where you're too big to grow, but you're too small to scale. And you focus on all of the revenue generating uh, activities, but now you can't handle the amount of activity that you've generated because you've done such a great job at that. That's where yeah. we come in and say, let's, let's take a step back and take a look at the way that you're naturally creating your content, running your business. And let's take, let's, let's see how we can remove some of that friction. So yeah. going to our website, brainjam.io and booking a call and just having a conversation is the best place to start. Beautiful. No, that is such good advice too. It's like the amount of times that sometimes success becomes the poison to even good businesses, because if you don't have those operations set up, like you said earlier, you just start hiring consultant here, consultant there, consultant there. And I have a team of consultants that are into invoicing you more than they are into growing your business. So, um, you know, that, that, that could really, really create some problems for a lot of people real fast. And I've seen it. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen businesses do exactly what you're describing and implode on themselves. Um, so yeah, some of this stuff, and I think reach out to you is going to 
for, for all the listeners out there, if you connected with anything from a business owner side that Spencer and I were talking about, you need to reach out to them because there could be either a chance that you're heading towards implosion or at least a chance that you could achieve new profitability that you never thought was possible before by working with someone like Spencer. So Spencer, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you going through my, um, you know, some of my uh, snafus with some of the, the technical stuff. Um, it's been fantastic. Really love talking to you. Um, and yeah, if uh, nothing else, just have a great rest of your day. And all the listeners out there and affiliated, Thomas isn't here today, so I will steal his line. But remember giving him credit. Be safe out there. Be sure to respond with what you'd like us to talk about next. And of course, most importantly, happy scaling. Thanks so much. Till next time.